Do you like bands like Voodoo Glow Skull, The Willem Scream, Mute, Implant, Darko, Police, Cigar, Tsunami Bound, Big Tin, The Kids Table, Adrenalize, Friends or Rump, Dead by Stereo, Belvedere, Bracket, Dead Fucking Last, Much the Same, and many more? Are you obsessed with band merch like I am? <laughs> if yes, press pause on this episode and go on EpicMerchStore.com. They offer t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, hats, and kids merch for more than 230 punk rock, ska, metal, and hardcore bands from all around the world. And they now have mugs. Yeah, wow, the coffee's gonna be great. Go get your merch at EpicMerchStore.com. Show episode 38. I'm Emily and I'm honored to be your host once again. Yeah, if it's the first time with me, nice to meet you, punk rocker. This week, my guest is Dave Lake from the band Diesel Boy. He's a great dude. I know this band had a major influence on lots of punk rockers, so it was a real pleasure to get to know him a little more. We're gonna listen to some Diesel Boy songs and feel the nostalgia of the 90s. <laughs> I will also make you a recommendation for the band Side Out from Florida. Oh, and I'm gonna talk to you about a lot of punk rock news too. So that's the plan for today, and the show is starting right now. Hello, my dear punk rock friends. How are you? I'm doing good. Life is good with me. Today we have another long interview and I have a lot of news for you too. But I wanted to take a few minutes to talk to you about a news that really pissed me off in the punk rock world. So I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago I made a a recommendation for the band Be Like Max. So the singer Charlie Fine had very horrible homophobic behaviors and absolutely awful comments toward Eric of the band Holophonics. He also arrested him, gaslit him. He also harassed other people online with homophobic comments. There are also other disgusting stuff he did to Eric and to other people. I can't believe this and I Honestly, I can't believe that homophobia still exists in the punk rock scene, in the ska scene. So after those things were released, the band Be Like Max um, broke up, which is the thing to do, in my opinion. So I just want to offer all my love and support to the victims, to Eric, and I'm really sorry I promoted this band. So we have to learn from this and do much better in the future. There is just no room for those awful things in our beautiful punk rock and ska scene. Okay? (laughs) On a more positive side, tomorrow I'm very happy because I'm going to go to a house acoustic show and... Oh, I can't wait. One of my friends bought a house like a year and a half ago and he repaired it. He made it very pretty and it's still empty. So he's doing a house show there. So I'm going to see Greg Lareng and Chris Snellgrove, two absolutely talented guys. And oh, it's going to be very fun. I love acoustic shows. I'm going to see some friends. <sighs> I love my life. Okay, since we have a very big episode today, I love this. Let's dive right now into the repunk mandation. Re- 
with Dave Lake of Diesel Boy. We had a very nice conversation together. We talked about the beginning of the band, about Dave's internship at Epidaph and Fat Records, the survival of the fattest compilation, 
The hiatus of the band, his current projects, his other hobbies and passion. Some of the lyrics of Diesel Boy he might would not write the same way today. And I asked him your question, dear listeners. If you want to have access to all my Zoom interviews video, including the one with Dave, you can subscribe to my Patreon page. And oh, I wanted to tell you that I I'm going to start a kind of a newsletter every week on the Patreon and I'm going to put a lot of links to some stuff you have to watch. I'm going to post more recommendations too. So if you want to join the Patreon page and support the show, this is my favorite way for you to support the show because I can still work for you. So check the show notes and you can see the link. My pants are falling down. The room is spinning around. Okay, let's go, Dave. <laughs> Interview. Okay, there's something that feels comforting about having coffee. Come sit here. Sit over here. Ah, oh, it's a, a dog or a cat. I can't see. Dog, yeah. Oh, nice. Wait, just this side. <clears throat> Yeah, so you're having cold coffee on uh, on cold days, and I'm having hot coffees on hot day all the time. I never yeah, drink cold coffee. Coffee I don't know is why. good in any form, in any kind of weather. Yeah, the sun is out, so it's been raining nonstop, but the sun is out, so yeah, it's can't uh, complain. It's Halloween today. Yes, <laughs> and the the weather is really scary. Here. Do you celebrate Halloween there? Uh, yeah, 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 but not me. I'm a Halloween Grinch. <laughs> okay. I close the light. I don't have kids, so it's like... Yeah. But I made an orange soup today. <laughs> squash? Yeah, squash. Yeah. So I was that's like, okay. Halloween. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That and counts. I have skulls on my shirt today, so I think I, I done my, my part. I, I feel the Halloween spirit, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's scary outside, so we're fine. You have kids, right? I But do. They are Identical older? twin boys. Oh, good. good. Eighth graders. Uh, Teenagers. Eighth graders means uh, uh, how old? Uh, they're 13 and a half. Oh, they can go trick or treat uh, alone. <laughs> yeah, they're going to the football game today with their mom, and then, yeah, they'll do something tonight. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. So I'm super happy to meet you. Yeah, uh, likewise. I got some listeners' questions today for you. Okay. And I really want to talk about like the whole journey of Diesel Boy and all your other projects. So yeah. First, I'm very curious about hearing um, about your first music influences when you were young, because like you started this band in late '90s. So before that, what were your influences? Yeah, I mean, I guess growing up, I was kind of a radio kid. I grew up on pop music. Like, my first favorite band was Duran Duran. Oh. Um, as a, you know, as a as a little kid. And, you know, my parents had a bunch of records in the house. They, not that they listened to a ton of music, but there was, mm -hmm. like, Beatles records and Paul Simon and, oh. um, you know, sort of classic stuff from the 60s that I grew up listening to. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I was mostly a radio kid, uh, pop music uh, as a young kid then I guess like in junior high and high school I became a total metalhead I had a friend who lived down the street and uh, 
I think someone brought Shout at the Devil to school <laughs> and I was obsessed with the oh. cover and the imagery and the scary looking uh, people in the band. I couldn't quite figure out if they were men or women, but I just knew that I kind of liked it. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I was like total metalhead in high school, went to all the shows, had all the records, um, you know, all the, and I grew up in Los Angeles. So mm. Um, I got to see a lot of those bands, you know, living in a big city. I got to see a lot of those bands. Um, and there was a thriving club scene. So once I could drive, um, you know, I had a, a couple of friends who we would go to the clubs and see, you know, some of those bands like, um, you know, Warrant and Poison before yeah. they were, you know, famous bands. Um, and then I got into punk rock, I guess in college, I was the, uh, I was the, uh, music director of the college radio station. And oh I had my roommate. God, that's great. Yeah. Uh, and I was a DJ there uh, all, all four years that I went to college. I had a roommate in uh, my first year uh, of college who was a punk and he turned me on to Bad Religions Against the Grain. Oh. Uh, and I loved how melodic it was, which reminded me of all the stuff that mm -hmm. I liked, all the pop music I liked as a kid, but it had this aggression that sort of I could relate to and, you know, not that Bad Religion uh, have a metal vibe, but there was something about the energy yeah. and the pop music of it that, like, I was like, you know, wow, this is amazing. The harmonies were amazing. Uh, and then uh, and then Green Day, uh, while they were still on Lookout, this was before, you know, I, I went to college in Northern California, so they were kind of a local band and would play oh, wow. on the campus and whatnot. Um, so those were kind of the two bands that really sort of started me off on punk rock, uh, Bad Religion and, and Green Day. And, oh. um, and then I met uh, the, the original uh, sort of version of Diesel Boy. Uh, I started with a guy who I worked with at the radio station who was into kind of similar music. And that was probably 1993, I think, maybe the very wow. first version of, of Diesel Boy. Um, oh. Yeah. How old so were you kind of, when you met those guys? Like, so I was probably 20, something like that. Okay, so yeah, you were young. I, w yeah. I, I, uh, I was in the um, college radio too when I was young. I uh, love that. I, I wish I could still, it was the best. I wish I could yeah, still do it. I, I, I love playing the, the records. I love being the music director. And, and frankly, it helped me because I got to learn how the music industry works a little mm. and I could use that to... Like I interned at Epitaph Records uh, for a couple of summers and that's how I got into, uh, I ended up interning at Fat Records all because I knew the people and because I, I was a college kid who could wow. work for free for college credit. So that was a, you know, having worked there was really, uh, you know, uh, helped a lot as a musician and just sort of learning how the, I thought I would end up, you know, uh, getting a job in the music business. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to use those connections to, you know, Yeah. And when you look at it today, are you like, whoa, I was there when they, like you said, transitioned to Fat Records and you saw a lot of bands like being born and and, evolu and their evolution. So I, I guess so. You, I mean, you are lucky. Um, I mean, that's great. You know, when I was interning at Epitaph, it was before the Offspring uh, smash and before and out come the wolves. So oh. they were still a smaller label. They hadn't yet, you know, there was maybe 
maybe six or seven employees at the time. And all of the records were in kind of the back of the office. Like they had a warehouse wow. behind it. Um, uh, the, the best thing I think was that, you know, I could sit in a room. Uh, I, I worked for a guy named Jeff Abarta, who the song uh, uh, Jeff Wears Birkenstocks is about. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah no yeah. effects on Jeff yeah, Wears yeah, Birkenstocks. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I can't remember if that song was out or not then. I don't think it was. But, um, but I was going to say the best thing about it was that you could sit in this small room uh, and there were no offices. It was just a bunch of desks and you could hear everything that was happening in the office. And, you know, bands would come by. I mean, it was cool. As a music mm-hmm. fan, it was certainly cool. Uh, and I, you did get a sense for how the uh, how these indie label, how the indie labels operated. And, you know, they were professional, mm-hmm. um, but you know, not traditional, uh, people work, but you know, that there was music playing all the time. And, yeah. you know, if you were interested in something, people were friendly and open. I mean, I did a lot of stuff like, um, you know, at the time when I was at Epitaph, I would like go through all the fanzines and make mm-hmm. photocopies of the press and, you know, put them, separate them out so that bands could get a packet of all of the reviews of their records. Or I would Whoa. like, send mail posters to record stores where the band was <laughs> going to be on tour, stuff like that. Wow, that's great. And it was before yeah. internet was really everywhere, before before social media. So it yeah. was probably a total different way to work for bands than today. <laughs> for sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. So you said, And it was still, yeah. you know, bands were still, they would just send demos or, you know, cassettes Cassette, or, or yeah. CDs or whatever. So, you know, there were stacks <laughs> of the, that stuff laying around. Um, and it was a family vibe, you know, bands would come through the office, uh, if they were on tour or they, you know, like I remember Fletcher from Pennywise coming in and sort of terrorizing everyone in the office with the stapler, stapling his arm or, you know, whatever crazy shit he was, uh, getting up to, but it was just like that bands would come by and, you know, a lot of the people that worked there were in bands. It was, it was really fun. It was really cool. Well, I am, I don't know if you, but. Because I read the book, uh, the oral history of Leftover Crack, and they they were talking about this, like coming to El Cat and Epitaph, and just hang out, and and I think Sturgeon was living there for a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> were you there at this time? No, no. Uh-huh. I think I was, it was there later. Pre, yeah, pre it was way later. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So you said you started uh, Diesel Boy uh, around 1980. Uh, 93. I always mix 80s and 90s in English. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I fuck up all my numbers. So, <laughs> okay. so in 93, you met yeah. the guys and then you, you yeah. started a band. Yeah, we there was, I think we started with three of us and then we added another guitar player. And yeah, we played in the drummer's garage and we oh. started getting gigs and uh, yeah, just kind of started doing it. Yeah, and Like you, you have already some contacts at Fat Record. So how did how did the collaboration started with them? Uh, I don't think I was. I don't think I had been working at Fat when I started the band. Oh, okay. uh, but sometime, you know, uh, I started college in '91, so maybe around there, like '94, '95. I I am. I I probably maybe done the Epitaph stuff, but not the Fat stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, you know, fat was a label that I loved and I went to college in the wine country in Northern California. So I was maybe an hour from the fat, from San Francisco, from the fat records offices. And I, 
I either sent them an email or called and said, you know, hey, you know, I'm the music director of this college radio station. Do you guys need interns? And they were like, uh, I don't know. Let me let me talk to let me put you in touch with Aaron, who is Mike's wife at the time. And yeah, so yeah. I eventually talked to Aaron and she said, well, we've never had an intern, but, you know, huh. I, we'll figure it out. Uh so I think I was the first uh, intern they ever had. You know, there's some papers they had to fill out saying, you know, I, whatever, I would get credit for the hours. I think you had to do a certain amount of hours of interning to, you know, get your degree. So, yeah, yeah while I was in college, I would, you know, I don't know, twice a week or something, drive down or uh, uh, down to the office and, uh, yeah, do do stuff as an intern, you know, mm. take shrink wrap off of uh compilations that had to be mailed to Australia or the same kind of shit that I was doing at Epitaph, just like menial kind of work. But, you know, I was there and, uh, and so I met, I knew Mike and knew the other people that worked there. And I I was very cognizant of not wanting to be, you know, my purpose in working there wasn't because I wanted to get my band signed to the label. So I was definitely Mm -hmm. aware of not wanting to even tell people that I was in a band or, you know, I mean, yeah, I get not, it. Yeah. not that I would have said I wasn't, but I, I didn't want people to think that that's why I was there. I totally understand. Yeah. But it happened. <laughs> yeah. So, so at this time you were like playing music with, with your friends and what were your expectations at the time? Because you were seeing like what happened with Epitaph bands and Bad Record bands. So, What were your expectations? I don't think we really had expectations. I think we just enjoyed playing. It was fun to, you know, play shows and, uh, and be a band. And, um, you know, I had so much, we all had so much energy, uh, back then, you know, I mean, I remember making flyers and we would, you know, go all around campus and all around town and put up flyers everywhere. You know, that's a thing that I can't imagine doing (laughs) anymore. But at the time it was like, you know, that was just a thing you did. Uh, we had sort of had endless energy for that stuff. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I guess our expectations at the time would have been like, oh, you know, maybe we could open for a cool band that we like, or, um, you know, I, we didn't have any expectations. We were friends with this band Bracket, um, oh, yeah. who were uh-huh. from, you know, the same area. And they, uh, they signed a deal with an indie label before we did. They were on this label Ooh. called Caroline, which uh, was a, an indie label, but a pretty big indie label. And they ended up getting a manager and got on some tours. And so I think we were able to kind of see firsthand like, oh, I guess things could happen. And, yeah. uh, and we got to see, you know, kind of them go through the process. So, but we never had any expectations. We just, you know, we just wanted to be a band and play. Yeah. So, but you you first released like a seven inch, or what was your first release uh, for Goth? It was the- so before before we had any, uh, we, we did a we self released a split seven inch with another band mm-hmm. uh, in our town, uh, and I think we maybe made three hundred copies, and you know we just did it ourselves and uh, sold them at shows, and you know eventually nice. got rid of them. Uh, And then, you know, at some point, at some point as my internship was winding down, you know, I told Mike that I had a band and, you know, he was like, oh, you know. You uh, had to tell him at some point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And uh, and I think he heard a demo and said, I like it. You know, let me know when you record some more stuff. And um, uh, at some point uh, I was at a bracket show, I think. And they had a motorhome that they traveled in. And so we were all hanging out. Mike was there. Mm. Uh, 
And I brought a copy of a new demo to let Mike hear because I knew he'd be there. Uh, I don't know how we accomplished anything before email and all. I don't know. I, it's, I can't remember any of the details, but somehow, you know, we were able to like make plans and figure things out before yeah, email. Yeah, yeah. But somehow I knew he'd be there. And so I brought a demo and he, uh, he said, okay, we're going to listen to this right now and you can't be in here. So they kicked me out oh, of the yeah. motorhome and made me sit <laughs> on the street while they listened to it. And I could sort of see them through the passenger <laughs> side window and they were peeking at me through the blind uh, in, the, in the minivan. Um, wow. And, uh, and then, you know, it felt like it was, you know, it's probably, I don't know how many songs it was, four or six songs, but it felt like I was on the street for like a half an hour just sitting there smoking cigarettes, waiting to oh find out Oh my God, that's, I feel the stress. <laughs> totally. Uh, and then finally the door opened and he's like, hey, you want to do a seven inch for fat? Yeah. Uh, and I was like, Fuck yeah. Okay, so that's um, when the seven inch arrived. <laughs> yes. Did you? Exactly. Because um, I know you worked with Ryan Green. Uh, did you make the, the seven inch with him and Cock Rock? No. And, no? Oh, no, okay. we recorded the seven inch uh, with a guy, uh, a guy that we'd recorded demos with and uh, had done some other stuff with previously. Um, and then we, um, you know, we we kept writing and writing. And at some point we had enough material for a record and we gave Mike <laughs> the demo. Yeah. Um, and he said he liked it, but not enough to put it out on fat. Oh, uh, really? At we first? Were, oh, we were heartbroken. Did he tell um, you why? Because I think when he says no, he, he kind of explained why. And did he give you? Well, it wasn't one of those. He did. They did have those letters that they would send out to like, <laughs> they had these little form letters that oh. they would send out to bands where they checked the box. Um, I don't remember if he explained why, I mean, he, you know, he said he liked it, but not enough to put it out on fat. Oh, okay. That's the best of, of, of my recollection. And we had, um, in the meantime, we had, you know, put a song on this punk bites comp that fearless had. And I was friendly also with Bob Becker, who was running fearless. And I thought, well, mm -hmm. you know, let's, we had some other interest from some other labels. And I thought, well, I guess, you know, maybe we'll end up on fearless. Mm. And at some point Mike called and said, Hey, you know, I'm going to start another label and I don't know, I don't know anything about it, but do you guys want to be the first band on it? Wow. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I don't think it, he had to do much convincing. We just said, sure. And he said, you know, you want to go into the studio for a week, you know, with Ryan and make a record. And, and at some point during the um, recording of the record, he was like, I got it. Honest Don's hardly used recordings. And we were like, Okay. Yeah. Uh, so and it, we ended up being the first band on on Honest Ons, um, hmm. which was the same. You know, it was just another name on the back, but it was all the same people, same yeah. distribution. You know, exactly. And how was it to work with with Ryan? He was the first guest I had on the podcast. Okay, he's I love Ryan. Uh, yeah. We made all our records with Ryan. It was a uh, he's a great dude. Uh, You know, uh, it takes a special kind of person to uh, wrangle a bunch of musicians and to get a good product. And um, yeah. you know, we had a we had a ball. I, I you know, I, he was a uh, you know, he has a great ear. He's a, mm -hmm. he's a really good producer. I think we didn't we had never worked with somebody like a producer before. You know, we had people oh. record us, but not people who would yeah, yeah, yeah. have an opinion about. Mm -hmm how, you know, trimming parts of songs or, you know, saying, you know, really giving 
critique about, you know, this chorus isn't good or this line sucks or, you know, you should change the melody here and do mm. this. And so having a creative input like that was really cool. Uh, his ear was great. You know, I mean, doing vocals was really, really tedious with him. Oh. Like I would do, I would, he'd be like, all right, let's do a, you know, let's do a take. And I'd run through, I'd do a whole take of a song on vocals. He'd be like, all right, let's grab the first verse. So mm-hmm. then I'd go back and do the first verse. And he'd be like, all right, let's grab the first half of the first verse. And then he'd be like, let's grab that first two lines. And then he'd be like, all right, let's get the first word. You know, just like really honing in. And it was... Super uh, sur- uh, was sur- surgical. Surgical. What's the word? Like uh, you, every part, little part. Yeah, I mean, just- it was... Uh, It was painstaking and tedious, but the results were always good. And and to my ears, you know, yeah. I would just, you know, be like, ah, and he'd be like, flat, ah, flat, ah, <laughs> make it sound more like Diesel Dave, ah, you know, and finally after like eight times of, uh, come here, come here, Pep, sit down here. Uh, after like, you know, yeah. after like eight times of doing, you know, one word, you know, then you'd be like, all right, move it on. And then, you know, but you only had six days to record. So you would like, yeah, the first record was it. six days. Yep. Wow. Yep. Oh, okay. And, um, I, w- I really want to talk about the cock rock album because, because I ask people on, um, Instagram to, if they have some questions for you and, mm-hmm. A lot of people told me that this album had so much influences on them, uh, either as a punk rocker or as musicians. So, yeah. um, like, what was your mood while writing this album? Like the song? Well, you know, the thing about first records is that you don't really write the record. It's just a weird hodgepodge of whatever yeah. material you had from, you know, your existence up to that point. So in that sense, there's nothing cohesive about it oh uh, i see mm-hmm. um whereas all of the subsequent re- records we had a record deal and we were writing for a record you know oh, you have to after your yeah. first record you wipe this slate clean and you have to just write a record um you know i think that um i don't i don't really know what it is about that record but i hear the same things you know it's mm-hmm. it's sold the most of all of our records and oh yeah you know um <clears throat> i think there's maybe something about maybe there's something in that notion that those songs weren't written with the intention of being recorded or heard they were just sort of whatever you know dumb shit we were coming up with in the studio <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and writing that there's uh-huh. something that is kind of pure or raw or Um, unrefined or, yeah. you know, you don't second guess yourself. There was no really thinking about any of it because none of it, there was no, they're just songs, you know, we just needed to fill mm-hmm. out a set. And then, you know, when it comes to making your second record, now, you know, people are going to hear it and you start thinking about that and you can get yeah. inside your own head and, uh, and you don't want to repeat yourself. And, you know, what am I trying to say? You can get caught up in all of that stuff. And there's maybe something more pure about that record. Uh, and also we made it really fast. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's something sort of, maybe there's an energy there that was lacking in some of the other records. I, I don't really know, but, uh, but that definitely s- seems to resonate with people. There's something oh. too about that time though. If you ask all of the fat bands that mm-hmm. had songs on survival of the fattest or that had records out then, I think that period was just a really influential fertile oh, yeah. period for pop punk bands and, you know, ask good riddance or strung out or no use for a name. It's those records that came out in, you know, 96, 97. Exactly. Are the ones that I think people, 
you know, it was like there was something that was being discovered by a lot of people. And, you know, the, it was kind of a, a new vibe in, in punk rock or whatever that people were just sort of. Yeah. Onto. I, I discovered many bands on this compilation, Survival of the Fattest. Um, and because and the song Titty Twister is on it and <laughs> I heard so many comments about it too like this song changed my life and it's <laughs> I love that it's so punk rock this song is really yeah. punk it's like party so is it based on a true story that some at some point you lost your pants and was really drunk and no <laughs> I mean I think it was just a, an amalgam of you know being a college kid and yeah. you know going to punk shows or being at you know house parties where this kind of stuff was well, I am far from a party animal So it certainly was not uh, personal in that way. But yeah, I think that was, I think that that was it. You know, I think that, I think it was just fun to be obnoxious and to, um, you know, uh, yeah. try and capture that spirit in a song. You the bag of shit, you suck, I can't believe what you have. It's not stood on me and my pants falling down. I would have another drink, except it might be poisoned by my mind and my pants falling down. I don't know what you've been drinking, but pour another one for me. My pants are falling down. The world is spinning around. My stomach is making funny sounds. I'm falling down. I'm falling down. through the album and oh and I have a punk rock acoustic duet and we played it at Twister and I played the intro uh, with a gazoo <laughs> yeah I think I maybe that's how I eventually started following your yeah, Instagram probably. or something I think I may have posted that at some point I remember I think I remember I remember that and that's great Every time we start this song, people are crazy. Like, ah, I can't believe you played this. It's amazing. I mean, it, you know, it was always the song that, you know, got the, when we were playing live, always the song that, yeah. you know, the place went nuts. Yeah. So after this release, the, the I mean, the this album worked really good. So you probably toured a lot after that. I wasn't, I, I know you played in Quebec City in Montreal uh, a few times. I w I've never seen you, but I heard some amazing comments about that, those shows. Like yeah, and that part of the, you know, that Canada was always really good. Eastern Canada was always really good. Montreal and Quebec were always, mm -hmm. you know, 
two of the cities that we would get the biggest responses at. Um, even before people really know who we were, our, yeah. we, our first big tour was with Strung Out and uh, and we played, I remember they said, just wait till you see the size of these places. You know, we got to the Spectrum in Montreal. And we oh, were like, holy yeah. shit, this is huge. That was a great um, venue. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. There was something even, you know, back then before, you know, or right as we had that record out where bands were just doing well in those places. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we, we played Canada a lot. Uh, and we, you know, um, We did, you know, we would go from Vancouver to like New Brunswick. I mean, we've been to yeah. Nova Scotia, you know, we went deep into Canada and there were always, always good shows. Um, but yeah, once we, um, Fat Mike got us our first two tours. He got us uh, a U.S. and Canada tour was mm -hmm. strung out. And then he got us a, a two week tour on the West Coast with the Vandals uh, wow. on their Christmas <laughs> album. Um And then after that, we were kind of up and running and we, you know, got an agent and started booking our own tours and our own stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, then it was just a cycle for, you know, eight or 10 years of, you know, make a record, tour for a few months, come home, make a record. Hmm. And did you see an impact because of survival of the fattest? Like you probably, I guess you were happy to be on this. Uh, <laughs> this Absolutely. I mean, everybody had those records. I guess because they gave them out and they were so cheap. I mean, they must have done hundreds of thousands of those compilations. And that was, you know, this stuff wasn't getting played on the radio. So mm -hmm. having a song on Survival of the Fattest was basically how you got a hit in punk rock. So, exactly. You know, everyone, all those songs on Survival of the Fattest, I'm sure to this day, if you go see, you know, any of those bands, those are the songs that are, oh, yeah. you know, towards the end of the set or, you know, they get the biggest crowd reaction because everybody had that. So yeah, it was amazing for sure. But how did uh, Fat Mike announced you? Like, did he t tell you? About it wasn't a big deal then. It was just a thing that they did for marketing. Uh, yeah. It wasn't like, yeah. it wasn't like we were selected to win a game show. You know, it was just sort of like he was making some, uh, you know, he made these compilations and good were cool. Great. You know, good idea. It wasn't until, You know, we started seeing, you know, months or years later that everyone had the, and I think they even gave them to us to give out. So we may have been wow. giving them out or selling them. So, you know, I think every band was doing that. So, uh, and it was really a genius kind of marketing idea because you oh know, my God, people yeah. were getting turned on to all those bands. Yeah. yeah it wasn't yeah. a good way to hear other bands. And so you'd look at the, you'd read the thank you notes you know, the thank yous and the liner notes to figure out other bands or you'd read Maximum Rock and Roll or Flipside, you know, there wasn't, True. you know, there wasn't Spotify and no message, no punk news or whatever oh my else, God. however you find bands. So that was it. <laughs> yeah, so at first you didn't know it would be a legendary album oh. that everyone had. And <laughs> like, I just bought the 25th anniversary colored vinyl and I was like, I Me need too. a day. I was looking yeah, for Yeah, I don't it. have it on vinyl. I don't I, they didn't make very many on vinyl back then, so I was glad that they repressed it. It was nice to have a copy. Yeah, good. Um some people ask me if you remember you just talked about touring in Quebec, but a show at a ski center in Matan. Do you remember playing there? I don't remember Matan. Uh well we did so we did a tour called Snow Jam. Yeah, the uh, Snow Jam. Mm -hmm. And we played, uh, and I think we played a bunch of, I don't know what a snow center is. That's like a ski resort, maybe the equivalent of a ski yeah. resort for me. But um, I don't know. I'm, 
But I know you played in Snow Jam. I, I, I know a lot of people talk to me about playing Quebec City, but like, but it's probably yeah, that, that was a that great tour. tour. I mean, SN, SNFU was on that uh, tour, so yeah. I got to hang out with Chai Pig wow. and, uh, and Good Riddance and... Um, Gosh, I can't even remember all the all the bands now that, uh, mm-hmm. that we played with. Wow! Um, but uh, yeah, we did we did uh, you know we did play snow related uh, stuff <laughs> every now and again. Yeah, snow I don't remember that show, show. In particular, but yeah. And now it seems like you are on a forever hiatus with the band. What happened? Like you just like stopped We playing. We tried a few years ago to. I mean, so. You know, it, uh, uh, you know, the end of the band was never exactly intentional, you know, mm. shit. We didn't like have a dramatic breakup, oh, okay. you know, there was no mm-hmm. fist fights or, no. you know, decision. <laughs> other, you know, other stuff was happening. You know, I, um, uh, some members are having some personal issues and mm. I was wanting to have a little more stability and make some more money. And, you know, it was a blast, but I, I was afraid that I would be, uh, you know, this age now and have no other life skills yeah. other than playing guitar in a punk mm-hmm. rock band. Um, yeah. Because you started super young, like in your twenties. So yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did graduate college and, okay. but you know, I have, but I spent 10 years in a van and, you know, so Wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, we tried it. I sort of moved and I got a job that paid well and, mm. you know, enjoyed having money and the stability and yeah. of not being on tour and all that stuff. We tried a few years ago, you know, wrote, uh, wrote maybe not a whole record, but a bunch of a record and we rehearsed and, you know, I sent oh. it to Mike and he liked about half of it and said, you know, keep writing, you know, mm-hmm. um, But it was just hard. It's hard. You know, we don't have the infrastructure anymore. We don't have uh, a rehearsal space. We don't mm. all live in the same city. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. During the pandemic, you know, I wrote a bunch and I've been excited to try and do something again. And so we've been talking and we've been trying to get it together. You know, I hope that I, I know people would be excited. I know that, you know, I would love to be able to um, tap into the network of festivals and shows, you know, oh, it seems yeah. like bands from our generation are, can still work a lot and there's still interest. And the, you know, the people who were kids when we were coming up as a band are professionals and have mm-hmm. money and have kids and still want to go to shows. And so I know that we could likely, you know, we've had offers, uh, mm. you know, my ideal situation would be to get to a point where we're functional enough where we could play the occasional show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've got kids and mm-hmm. we all have kids uh, and jobs. And so it's not easy. Uh, and we've got songs and, you know, we've been sending some stuff back and forth, but it is hard to, you know, I have, it sort of ebbs and flows. I'll get like during the pandemic, I was like, ah, we should be doing something and, you know, mm. sort of try and get everyone excited. We'll be excited for a while and we'll yeah. try, but it's hard to get it over the finish line. So, you know, I hope that at some point, um, we can get it together and, uh, you know, I'd like to, I would love to make a new record, even though I know that fans won't give a shit and they just want to hear the songs from our old records and they'll go take a piss when we play the new songs. But, uh, you know, creatively I would enjoy having something new out there instead of just, you know, do it uh, playing the nostalgia. circuit. Um, so we're working on it. I'm trying, you know, um, I'm glad to hear uh, this. 
And I hesitate to, you know, make any kind of announcement because people will be disappointed. So the best I can say is that, you know, we want to do it and we're trying. It's just, you know, trying to get it together is challenging. Yeah. And we don't have a label. We don't have anything, you know, Uh, and the whole world is different. I don't know how, you know, I don't know how to be in a band anymore. It's totally different process and everything's different. So I I don't totally know a label here who could do a lot for you. (laughs) Maybe a a few of them so i think yeah, you, i so, think you it know would what? be some good some of them have reached out and we've had offers to do stuff so i know that i know that uh i don't think we'll have trouble finding a place to release a record but yeah. um <clears throat> i guess i guess it's all a way of saying like no one's breathing down our neck there's no deadlines like i used to have to book studio time mm-hmm. to get the records written like oh. i'd say all right Well, I know in six months we have to have a record done and that would force me to get off my ass and write a record. But I also didn't have a job and I didn't yeah. have kids and I didn't have a mortgage and, you know, so life's more complicated. So Adult be, life. Yeah. Adult it's harder life. to sort of get motivated to do all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but when, you know, no one's breathing down your neck about it. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I hope we can get it together. I would love to. Mm-hmm. People would love it too, and I'm sure you would do great tour if you wanted, or just festival show from time to time. Yeah, like, like ideally, reunion. you know, like let's go out and do Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, like yeah. fly somewhere and do some shows, fly back. Exactly, and I know that you you had a you have another project too, another band. Yeah, for it's not going anymore, but for a few yeah. years I had a band called Dirty Outs. Yeah, Dirty um, Outs, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was fun, you know, just to get into a rehearsal space once a week it was. You know, a bunch of grown-ups with kids and yeah. families and jobs. and uh, But yeah, once a week we go, you know, go rehearse and write songs and oh. go play shows. I mean, it, but it's a it's a grind, man. It was, uh, you know, it's different when, uh, when you're young and have friends who will happily come out and see you. My friends don't want to come watch us play on a Monday <laughs> night at midnight uh, and get a babysitter. Yeah, and you have to do it. It's like I load my gear into my Prius and double park and... <laughs> loaded into the basement and you know i mean it's just a whole different uh whole different thing you have to do pm um, shows afternoon afternoon shows now (laughs) yeah yeah maybe yeah Yeah, that would be good okay so it's hard to stay up like to play at midnight i mean it's hard to stay up and you know play it i know It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> so I have some questions now from the listeners. Sure. Uh, yeah. uh, um, okay. We talked about some project, uh, some questions already. Uh, okay. What's the story behind uh, Punk Rock 101 and Punk Rock 102? Uh, uh, 201, uh, sorry. Yeah. Punk Rock 101, uh, I think was just, uh, <clears throat> you know, kind of that same, um, kind of in the same spirit of Titty Twister, just some kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I guess I was trying to make a punk rock anthem uh, and, you know, putting a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of f- fuck the world in the yeah. chorus is a good way to do that. Uh, just something snotty and obnoxious uh, in, in that, you know, I, I don't know that I had any, you know, there was no big message behind it other than just wanting to maybe thumb my nose at, you know, mm-hmm. um, Uh, punk rock elitism yeah or... that's what I thought like that's what we can feel yeah
Yeah. And then Punk Rock 102, um, uh, I don't know, Greg sings it. Um, I think, uh, I don't remember if I wrote the words or if Greg wrote the words, but I don't know. We were just messing around. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it was something he could, you know, yell about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, the first, uh, the next question is, Really funny, but uh, David wants to know if you ever had feedback from Drew Barrymore. <laughs> so, no, but um, there was a time uh, when our first, I, I just, I, are you familiar with the, with the punk rock museum? Uh, n not really. So Fat Mike and a bunch of other people are starting this punk rock museum in um, Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And so they've been asking bands for memorabilia and all, you know, sort of like, a, I don't know if you have the Hard Rock Cafe in Quebec. You probably uh, don't, but Toronto. it's kind of a cheesy American yeah, yeah, chain yeah. of uh, bars and restaurants yeah. where they have like, you know, Jimi Hendrix's guitar. Yes. I think the idea is to make like a, a punk rock version of that, but a museum. So, you know, but all, all stripes of punk rock. So I was going through a bunch of boxes and looking for stuff and I had found, I'd forgotten uh, uh, that we had done this, but I had unearthed this letter so before our first record came out for mm -hmm. uh before cock rock came out drew barrymore was in our town filming the movie screen no. oh. and um and she'd been seen at around at a bunch of bars and we somehow figured out uh what hotel she was staying at and i think somebody was friends with <gasps> someone who worked there and we we knew what room she was staying in and this is so creepy in oh. hindsight yeah uh <laughs> but we made a we made a demo of our first record and put a note in there that basically said, you know, I I know this song is like really crass, but really it's because you know we think you're great and <laughs> we have a crush on you and we'd love it if you listened and gave us your blessing uh, before we put it out and you know by the way we're playing Saturday oh, night and wow. put your name on the guest list and you it know you should come before and it was we, released. Yeah, before it was released. That's amazing. And we, and we so we slid this tape under the door at the hotel with a note. No but way. Of course, she probably, you know, had, it had to double up on her security wondering why, you know, yeah, yeah, people yeah. had figured out what room she was in. Or it ended up the wrong room and somebody <laughs> else got the, I have no idea what whatever happened. But Oh, my God. You know, well, I, we, I, I, don't, I didn't hear um, the song I, I'm going to talk to you about, but there's a song somewhere called Drew Barrymore don't listen to that diesel boy <laughs> I saw that but never I, heard of it I no, couldn't I to look that up I couldn't hear it. it's not available everywhere I just saw this title and I was like what okay funny <laughs> but I'll have to look for that yeah speaking of uh, some of this... those songs on the on a couple uh, especially that one and there's a couple of other ones that yeah. if I had if I had to play them now as a almost 50 year old dude, I might be a little like, yeah, I get it. Cringe a little. And, you know, especially, you know, uh, and a lot of that stuff, you know, as a person, this age would not be comfortable committing to, uh, yeah, know, I uh, totally understand and for, for all time. And, you know, 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you, how do you reflect today on those lyrics? Because I know you were, I mean, you were young. You, Like you said, you wanted to write like raw, ugnant, what's the word? Ugnantious? <laughs> I can't say that. Obnoxious. <laughs> This word. And like uh -huh. really raw lyrics, like a teenager spirit. So I understand. And it was in the 90s. But like today, I understand that. And not only you, but other bands maybe. I don't think I sung about any teenagers periods, but. Uh, point taken. Masturbating no, I mean, teenagers, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I want to <laughs> fuck this girl. Da, da, da. You know, like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I wanted. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Somebody, uh, somebody else asked me that recently, you know, whether oh. I thought, you know, um, you know, are these, you know, whether, I can't remember the exact question, but, you know, I, uh, I don't think. I don't think I would retroactively change any of that stuff. It was, you know, reflective of who I was at the yeah, time yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, the stuff that, you know, my young horny brain was focused on. And, uh, <laughs> and there was definitely some amount of um, wanting to be obnoxious and wanting to get attention and, yeah. um, and just, you know, be a brat. Um, yeah, I understand. And um You know, I've got kids and I hope that I've uh, become more thoughtful and mm -hmm. woke and uh, respectful. Uh, so I think, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm relieved. I think mm -hmm. it would be I think it would be challenging. To, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a band now and have like women or girls like in your DMs all the time and mm -hmm. like what that must be like as a, you know, uh, as a, an artist, uh, you know, I, that stuff just wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's challenging and, you know, um, and you gotta be careful and, you know, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I mean, it's a different world for sure. Totally. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I um, mean, I still listen to this album and everything is fine, but I, I understand that some, and like I said, not even, not, not just you, but other bands probably are like, Oh my I dear. get that there are lyrics that in which I'm objectifying women or, mm -hmm. um, and you know, what can I do other than own it and say, that's who I was at the time. And, you know, mm -hmm. I had a certain view of life and relationships that is not reflective of who I am now. And, You know, and I think uh, a lot of I think it's silly that people go back, you know, you will look back through a comedian's tweets from, you know, 10 years ago. Mm, and, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> yeah, we I, guess it, I guess it depends what the tweet is. But, we need to you know, see. I mean, there's got to be some artistic license and the ability to, you know, uh, uh, mature and, you know, uh, evolve. Yeah, totally. And I, a lot of punk rockers have had their uh, this evolution too, like so. Yeah. Still a legendary album, you know. <laughs> Even No Effects, uh, oh, yeah. you know, got canceled for a while there. You know, they yeah. made a joke about the, yeah. you know, in, in Vegas. Uh, Las Vegas, yeah. They're talking about that in the documentary uh, Punk and Droblick Festival. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's very interesting. And uh, the band are talking about this exactly situation. And it's super interesting. And they... Yeah. I think they they have a they had a life lesson. <laughs> yeah. A lot of learning and that's what's well, important. Scott Mike always speaks his mind so yeah. you know I mean good luck trying to get him to you know 
uh, filter anything that comes out of this. Exactly. Mouth. I, I, you should watch it. It's very, it's very interesting. Yeah. If you are interested about this story that happened in Vegas, For yeah, sure. good. Um. Okay. Uh, someone wanted wanted to know what was touring in the '90s. Was it always a huge party with all those bands? And because you were pretty young at the time, and it like all the Fat Wreck albums were super popular. So how was that? Yeah, it was great. With I mean, the other bands, uh, like mm. we were all there was definitely a sense of family and camaraderie. You know, the bands that you shared a label with. Uh, or even ones you didn't share a label with, but, you know, bands who were on Epitaph mm. or Nitro or Kung Fu or, you know, whatever. Um, we were all kind of part of this club. And um, uh, and some you toured with a bunch and you knew well, and some you got along with well, and some maybe you didn't jive mm -hmm. as well with. Was it always a party? I mean, yeah, kind of. I mean, there was, you know free beer and you know people wanted to <laughs> yeah. get you stoned and um well it wasn't a glamorous party uh we weren't making a lot of money there was a lot of sleeping at people's houses on the floor and, yeah you know but there was a scene and a camaraderie and you know um you know people were happy that you were there and in their town and wanted to share um you know a good time with you oh yeah and uh And for the most part, you know, uh, it was amazing. You know, that there were, you know, most of the day that you'd spend in the van driving from city to city was boring and yeah, and it's hard and uh, and long drives. But yeah, it was fun from the time that you arrived at the show until you had to leave. You know, I mean, we jammed, you know, a lifetime's worth of memories into 10 years of touring. Oh, or yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. And you know, it's sort of like um, there's sort of like I. I was not in the military, but I imagine it's sort of like what your military buddies are like, or maybe your, your fraternity brothers or something. Like I can still see those guys who I haven't seen. You know, if I go to a strung out show, I mean, I haven't hung out with those guys yeah. a lot in the last 20 years, but we'll still give each other a big hug and shoot the shit. And it's sort of just like you went through a thing and it's probably, maybe it's different now because, um, mm. you know, all the bands are older and tour on tour buses and, uh, And, uh, you know, there's less partying and, you know, uh, but yeah, definitely in our 20s, it, it, yeah. was, it was great. It was like that. Yeah, it was, it was a blast. Yeah, there were like a lot of tour, like the Warp Tour and uh, like... Yeah, those were less, I mean, the, you know, for a small band like Diesel Boy, we did, you know, we did the Warp Tour a few times, mm -hmm. but if you're not in a tour bus, like you're in a van <laughs> and, you know, you got to hump your t-shirts like a million miles away oh, and the yeah. gist fucking hot and there's no air conditioning and oh. you know uh i mean yeah it's fun to see all the bands but you know unless you're on a tour bus uh it's a lot less fun it's not as glamour as people might think not glamorous <laughs> at all at our level you know oh. when we graduated to two rooms at a cheap motel that was a big deal oh yeah but we were still sharing a bed it wasn't you know There was no glamour. No, no I, glamour. exactly um i think you're also a writer or you you write stuff Well, are, yeah, for, are you working yeah. on something these days? Yeah, I mean, I do write as part of my, you know, uh, I run a business with my dad that involves writing, but I did oh. write for, uh, um, for many years, I worked at Microsoft as a writer, and then I worked mm. for Seattle Weekly, uh, which wow. was uh, now, now, you know, print is pretty much dead, but mm. uh, yeah, for a bunch of years, I wrote, I covered music for Seattle Weekly, you oh. know, doing shows and interviewing bands. It's wow. like a, 
I don't know what the equivalent would be to Quebec, but you know, an all like a you know paper, a free paper that's out once yeah. a week and that has like live concert listings and all that. Oh, um, so yeah, it was super fun to do that, and um, and uh, I miss it. Uh, I wrote a column for uh, for uh, for a few years for a magazine called Amp that was sort of like uh, you know uh, flip side or maximum rock and roll. So I've done a lot of writing over the years. I don't do it. I don't write about music mm -hmm. really ever anymore. And I miss it. I should, yeah. um, start a blog. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I did for a lot of years. I had a blog and that's how I got the job at oh. Seattle weekly. Um, I just don't, I guess I just don't have time. I don't have, you know, I only have time for a few hobbies and I'd rather, you know, work on a song or you mm -hmm. know, do a crossword or, you know, something, but, um, Yeah, I, I miss it. I, I did enjoy it. You know, maybe I'll come back to it at some point. It, sure. I, I also, you know, I occasionally would get to do some kind of like actually be a journalist and do like a real like investigative story. And I always wow. like doing that stuff, too. Wow. You know, I think if I could write, um, you know, I just got Dan Ozzy's book, Sell Out, uh, which tells the story of these 11 bands uh, from Green Day to Against Me when oh. they went from sort of their roots to signing to a major label. Uh, and, you know, like that kind of stuff interests me, digging into yeah. history and sort of doing some investigative journalism work and sort of, you know, telling a story, interviewing people, putting a story together. Yeah, I, like I enjoy the process of that. Doing lots of research and like a long-term uh, yeah. investigation. I mean, I think writing songs can be like that too. If I'm writing a song about oh, that's interesting. Uh, a specific topic, you know, I, I may need to research what, You know, oh, um, yeah, that's interesting. Or make it sound informed or whatever. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And last question I love to ask yeah. this to my guests What are your other passion or hobbies? Like something you like to do in the weekends and you're really passionate about? Do you have other stuff? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, I, uh, I can sit and do crossword puzzles and oh, listen. yeah. Uh, that, uh, My brain enjoys that. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I still write and uh, enjoy writing. It feels, I, uh, I just saw a quote from Billy Joel who said, um, he likes having written, but doesn't like writing. Oh, uh, yeah. And I have that same experience. I have to force myself to do it, but I like the results when I'm done. So I will still spend time working on songs, demoing them on GarageBand, um, mm. That's still something that I spend time doing. Uh, I, uh, you know, on a, uh, if I had a free weekend, you know, I would love to spend it uh, digging through used records. I'm a big mm. record collector, so oh, I've got yeah. <laughs> way, way, way too many records. Uh, I like to thrift. I like old things. Anything old, like mm -hmm. dated media, like VHS tapes, cassette tapes, wow. records, books. It's uh, you do know, you have your record a, collection? It's a fine line between collecting and hoarding. <laughs> it's just, you know, I don't know what makes a record collector and what makes a record hoarder, but yeah. Okay, I'm a record collector, but I'm a t-shirt hoarder. <laughs> yeah, how many t-shirts do you have? Oh my god, I think I have like mm, 250. Okay, but I've got way more records than that. Uh, yeah, but, but I, you, I mean, how, you can't wear 250 t-shirts. I stock them and I make rotations in my drawer, uh, uh, not dryer, drawer. Yeah, drawer. Dra yeah, <laughs> it was like dryer. But uh, you have 250 shirts in rotation. Uh, no, I, I, 
I stuck them in some boxes, but sometimes I I just like pick Good some. Good for you for staying the same size that you are, so you can still wear your old shirts. <laughs> yeah, many but I, people could likely not. <laughs> yeah, I got. I uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it's been 15 years. Back from when you were like a teenager and going to shows. Uh, early 20. I've start. I started to go to shows pretty late. Now I'm 37. I started okay. like in early 20. Okay. So uh, I wish I had all of my heavy metal t-shirts yeah. from the 80s and 90s. I'm so sad I don't have Yeah, them. I know. Oh, and speaking of shirts, you have some shirts and merch on Epic Merch Store. They are sponsoring the show. So I, I was Yay, so Epic happy. Merch Store. Thank uh, you, Epic Merch Store. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have, uh, it's nice to have some new merch out there. That's like one of those things that's like, when I say that Diesel Boy has no infrastructure, it's like, I really don't want to sit in my basement and mail t-shirts to people. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so I'm glad to have any help with all that kind of stuff. You know, <sighs> Like I have boxes of Dirty Outs shirts that I made and I'm like, what am I going to do with this? The band doesn't exist anymore. I have boxes of shirts. Like nobody wants these. Uh, it's embarrassing. I'm going to take them to my my grave with me. Oh, I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, um, oh, uh, and I, I really love my Diesel Boy shirt. And yeah, good. a lot Thank of you. people are like commenting about it. I want it. I want it. So it's it's cool. So the band is not super active, but you still have stuff like on Epic Merch Store. You released a skate deck too? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, every rock. once in a while, someone, you know, will reach out and say, hey, do you guys have interest in doing this? Do you have interest in doing this? And there's obviously still fans out there who want that stuff. The skate deck all sold out. And, yeah. you know, people have been buying T-shirts. Uh, so there's obviously people out there that want this stuff, which is great and feels encouraging and, you know, makes me feel like, oh, well, if we made a new record, yeah. people, you know, some small group of people might be interested. So yeah, we're trying. I mean, and it, it's definitely that interest keeps me going and, mm -hmm. you know, it's nice to see on Facebook and Instagram, you know, that bands from our era are still out there and, oh, still, yeah. and still doing stuff. So that uh, will yeah, never I mean, die. We are still super nostalgic, but I think these yeah. days it's also really fun because we are interested with new bands too. So I feel yeah. like it's a good balance we have and it's, it's a great Well, people great like you thing. are keeping it alive, you know? I mean, I don't no. know that much about your history, but you have a, a, Thank this you. podcast, right? Yes, uh, I started this and podcast. And if you play music, I'm, is there another podcast that's just music or is it the same podcast? I have a radio show. I started a radio show in Quebec City. Uh, it's called Punk Detente. I started it in 2004. And I still do do it every week. Yeah. And I started this podcast um, in last February because I... Like punk that town, it's more like requests. People are making requests, and we're listening so, to some music uh, on Facebook Live. Do you, do you find there are as many new bands? Do you find there's a lot of new bands that you know mm. interest you? Because I don't. Oh yeah, I, f I always maybe find I'm just great old stuff. And out of touch. Uh, no, there's. A, I find new bands that interest me, but not punk bands. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I understand that. No, I got a lot of great band. Uh, the listeners always write me amazing messages saying, cool. like, "Did you see this new band? Blah blah blah." There's a lot of more bands with women, which is amazing, and I I love to discover bands from all around the world. Small small bands, like it's yeah. it's just really good. That's great. I mean, I love that about punk rock that, you yeah. know, it, even though uh, the world is different and technology has mm -hmm. brought people together, you know, there's always been a rich uh, 
do it yourself and, you know, yeah. uh, community around punk rock, you yeah. know, even things like punk rock bowling, uh, mm-hmm. you know, festivals that feel like they're, you know, family in some way, or, you know, uh, you know, I, it's great that people, uh, yeah, to do that and sort of keep the yeah, spirit of the thing alive. Speaking of like punk rock bowling, the listeners were telling me like, oh, I can't wait to see Descendants, but also this small band and this small band. I was like, that's perfect. I like totally. that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have a last question. I was about to yeah. forget. I have no idea what it is, but uh, someone <laughs> want to ask you, how was the experience of being on the show Freaks and Geeks? I don't know what it is. So yeah, it's, uh, um, there was a show called freaks and geeks. It only ran for one season. Uh, and at the time nobody watched it, but in, in the years <laughs> since it's become really popular and critically acclaimed and oh. it starred a bunch of people like Seth Rogen. Uh, and, uh, now I'm drawing, a, a Jason, uh, I'm drawing a blank on, uh, the other people, uh, who were in the show. Um, but a bunch of the people who were in it at the time as kids have gone mm-hmm. on to become big stars. Uh, and it was a great show with a lot of heart about being a high schooler in the, uh, I guess, late seventies, early eighties. Oh. Uh, and maybe I'm get blowing the, the timeline. Um, but I had a friend from high school who was, uh, who worked on the show and who directed an episode and one of the episodes called for a punk band. And so he asked if we wanted to be on the show, in the show. Oh, uh, wow. And, um, you know, it was set in the 80s. So we went down to, you know, the studio and we got outfitted in these 80s punk clothes <laughs> with safety pins and <gasps> chains and leather yeah. pants. And they made my hair into a mohawk and, uh, you <laughs> know, put makeup on. and Living you know, the punk life. like Totally. And, and, and you know, uh, And it was super fun to sort of leave our lives as a super unglamorous punk band and to come on the set of a TV show where wow. in between takes they would wipe down my face and, you know, there was catering everywhere, <laughs> and, you know, free food. And uh, we play three songs in the, in the episode. And, um, and, uh, and it's great that it's gone on to sort of have a cult status and sort of live forever. You know, so many things just kind of, go away but it's it's still managed to find an audience and uh and that's that's awesome yeah it was super fun to do and uh and we didn't get to do a lot of things like that Um, wow that's great it's cool to cool to be a part of it i didn't know that can we watch this still is it somewhere yeah i mean i know for a while like you know nobody thought the show was going to be a hit and they then it came out on dvd And then it came out on DVD again. And then uh, I kept, they kept having to relicense it. I kept getting these calls like, oh, it's going to be out on DVD. Oh, we're going to license it for mm-hmm. streaming. And uh, finally they came back and said, we're tired of licensing this. We're going to do one last license for everything, you know, streaming, DVD, everything in perpetuity. Uh, but I think it's, it was on Netflix. It, you know, it may have it oh. now may be on one of the other streaming services because they're all getting parsed out by who owns what. Yeah. Content. So I don't know. At the time it was DreamWorks. I think oh. Paramount may own it now. So maybe it's on I'll Paramount check. Plus. I don't know where it is, but I'm sure it's on one of the streaming services yeah. somewhere. Wow. Thank you so much, Dave. That was amazing. Yeah. Thank you. It was great to meet you. It was nice to do that. Such a great conversation. People are going to love it. Thank you. Thank you. 
I fucking love to do this podcast and meet great artists like Dave. If you want, you can reach me on social medias and talk to me about what you thought about this interview and what are your best memories with Diesel Boy. And now it's time for Punk Rock News with Emily Plamondon. some news that I found on different websites like Punk News, SkatePunkers.net, the labels, newsletters, etc. directly from the band sometimes, so I spent a lot of time researching. Okay, so Green Day released a video for Basket Case and it was recorded for BBC Live Session in fucking 1994. I was 10 years old. <laughs> the song will be on their live album called the BBC Sessions and it's gonna be out on December 10. Ooh, Craig's brother finally released a new song called Facebook and it's so good. Oh, I should have played it today. Hmm. Maybe next week. But I'm gonna definitely play it on my weekly radio show Punk Detente this week. <laughs> But go check this. I've always loved the raw vocals so much in Craig's Brother. Wow, it gives me like positive shivers. The Lawrence Arms announced they're gonna do a war on Xmas holiday show once again and it's gonna be in Chicago on December 9, 10 and 11. I watched it online last year. It was um, a virtual event <laughs> with acoustic songs, acoustic guests. It was so funny. They were so drunk. <laughs> Great memories. So this year, Direct Hits, Evil Vampire, Broadway Calls, Cat Bite, and the Muslims are gonna play. I want to go. I'm, I didn't check if they're gonna release the, um, some virtual tickets. I don't think so. I think their life is back to normal, I guess. Huh? A band from my local scene in Quebec City, Our Darkest Days. Irie Punk mended them already on the show. So they are streaming a new song, A Sea of Lies. The song is gonna be available on their new album called Snakes and Ladders. It's gonna be available on November 19th. 98. I don't know. <laughs> so this band is playing fast and melodic skate punk and it's really good. Okay, 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 okay. Honestly, you have to watch the video of Emil and the Sniffers playing a live session. I know I'm obsessed with this band. They're just so good. They are so punk. It's crazy how much I love this band. So they played a lot of songs like Some Mutts, uh, Hertz. Guided by Angels, Security, Knifey, Capital, I Don't Need a Cunt, Like You to Love Me, and Maggot. Don't miss this. It's on YouTube, easy to find. The amazing UK melodic skate punk band Fair Dues released a new single for their song Consolation. Check this. On January 28th, 2022, Ross Rankin of Good Riddance is gonna release a new solo album called Come Together, Fall Apart on Zbam Records, Curse Blessing, Satan. And you can already listen to a new single for the song Babble. And now let's talk about some new music videos. The Last Gang released a new video clip. Can we say that in English? I don't know. In French, we say video clip all the time. <laughs> a new music video for the song Gimme Action. 
And you can find this song on the new album Noise Noise Noise. The band After the Fall also released a video for their new song Firewood and this song is on their new album Isolation that will be released on January 7th. And finally, Lars Frederiksen released a wonderful animated video for his new solo version of the song Army of Zombies. The song was originally released in 2001 and this new version will be on Lars' new EP called To Victory that's going to be available on November 19 on Pirates Press Records. Watch the video, it's very beautiful. That's it for today, my dear friends. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. I hope you had fun. I want to say a huge thank you to Epic Merch Store because they are our fantastic sponsor. Thank you to Scott Hallquist from 10 Foot Pole for the edit and the co-production of the show. If you like the podcast, please promote it everywhere on your social media. It helps a lot. You can tag your friends in my social medias if you want. You can subscribe to the Patreon. You can make a one-time donation on PayPal or buy me a coffee. It helps a lot. Don't miss the next episode because my guest will be Adam Fletcher of the band The Copyright. The new album is so good, I wanted to know more about it. Until then, funk your life and see you next week.